0: look at it as a continuous journey. You know, there's no start and end to it. You know, it, it's a it's something that you learn every day. You, you get better at it every single day. So you know I, I, I equate it to sports just because you know I played sports and in, in business athletically you don't have to lose anything. You know, your your mind can just get sharper and sharper and sharper. And I know now based on my experience in having made decisions, the decisions i could have made better earlier in my career and there's no way for me to to improve on myself if i'm not a continuous learner uh, throughout the process so yeah my, my number one advice would just be completely open to to learning for the you know for the rest of your life or as long as you want to be an entrepreneur not not count, not getting stuck in your own uh, your own brain
1: Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight-figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. Now, today we've got another great guest on on the podcast. Uh, Chad Price, and to give you a bit of an introduction. So, Chad uh, played college football at Rice University always wanted to go into business so got a double major in a couple different things that he'll touch on Um, then uh, worked for construction also played a bit of uh, ball after graduation and decided he wanted to go uh, into business for himself started a business with a couple friends and uh, he'll talk a little bit about what that is and I believe it's still going and you can correct me if I'm wrong Um, and then kind of uh, got to understand different types of stores and different types of niches so in addition to the the company with this friend, which is, I think, Kettlebell Kings, and goes about kettlebells, also got into a bit of different uh, brand building, different contents, different markets, and expanded into, I think, Living Fit was another uh, business you're in, I'm starting doing interviews and other fitness and lifestyle products, launched an app. Also got into, I think, a bit of CBD and uh, Hemp Company and uh, is uh, also, I think, partnered with that company with George Foreman III. So all sorts of fun things, lots of, uh, lots of fun parts to talk about his journey. So with that much as a, an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Chad.
0: All right. Thank, thanks for having me.
1: So I gave this kind of the brief, quick run through, but maybe now going back a bit in time, tell us a little bit about uh, playing college football in Rice and then um, how, or how things started from there.
0: Sure. I mean, uh, yeah, when, when, you know, when, <clears throat> when I was still in college, you, you know, even at that point kind of in my life, I, I knew corporate America was kind of going to be a pit stop for me. I, I wanted to see what it was like to, uh, to work for a corporation, but I, I kind of knew in my heart that I, I wanted to own my own business. Um, nobody in my family really owned their own business. I did have an aunt who, who owned her own business uh, for a while, who I worked with when I was younger, that kind of motivated me to, to choose that direction. Um, but I hadn't seen anybody do it to the scale where you know someone's building a global brand or a, a recognizable brand, and so um, even at that point, that was always kind of one of my goals. Um, that journey through Rice just kind of helped me see, uh, you know, different industries, different uh, different paths in terms of corporate careers, um, as well as different types of businesses that you know could 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 be a potential for a business that I could start. Um, so, you know, at, <clears throat> after I graduated from rice, one um, question before
1: that, because so, you were, you were doing uh, college football and a lot of, you know, dream and not all, or a lot of people don't make it, but it's, you know, you play college ball and you go professional or you go do something with that as you're going into football, was it, Hey, I, I that's my dream or, Hey, this will be a good way to be able to get into the scholarship or otherwise fund my, you know, fund my degrees or kind of, you know, going into that how did you decide between kind of a sports that you, you know, to be in a to college level, even at that is a great accomplishment and a, you know, big feat. So how did you kind of decide I want to do business when you're also doing football?
0: Um, I mean, I think that's a great question. Uh, I think if, if you go to Rice, you have the mindset of kind of doing both. You know, I, I don't think many, many athletes go to Rice on full scholarship and, and, and don't think about what their career is after, um, you know, I think it's a, a education focused, curriculum and education focused system from the very beginning. With that being said, I think, you know, every, every football player, basketball player, every athlete dreams about, you know, the, the Olympics, the championship, the Super Bowl, whatever, whatever that may be. Um, so yeah, I, I did have, you know, I did aspire to, to, you know, play, continue to play football. Uh, but quite honestly, you know, even at that point, I knew that was a temporary pit stop for me. So if it was corporate America, or if it was football, it was still going to end up with me having to, you know, do something to, you know, build for the rest of my life. And in my mind, that was always, you know, some type of business. I didn't know what that was going to be, but that, that's kind of where where my thought process was at the time.
1: No, definitely makes sense. And so now you graduate, you're coming out, and I think you got a double major. Is that right? Remind me what you got the, the degrees in.
0: Yeah. So yeah, at the time, Rice didn't have a formal uh, business degree. They had basically it's managerial studies, and then I also have a degree in, in sports management, which is basically a you know a business degree in in sports, and so it it just talks <clears throat> or just focuses more on the uh, professional sports and the the marketing around that industry.
1: So now, and so now you're coming out of school, you've got your degrees, you're saying okay. You know i might may need to get a bit of experience really my heart is in entrepreneurship and so i think after you graduated you had a short stint in kind of construction and doing a little bit uh, with ball afterwards before deciding to get into business yourself is that about right
0: yeah i think that's a good summary um construction is probably one of my favorite jobs i've ever had actually um interesting interesting enough it's it's hard work but it's, it's rewarding work you know you get to you get to go from project to project you get to see something go from the beginning to the end and start over and so you know no, no two days are really the same uh, especially if you if you're working on, on larger projects so um, I, I really like that part about construction when I was still kind of transitioning from you know what do I want to do full-time with my life I wasn't at a point where I wanted to be tied down to a corporate job either and construction allowed me to kind of travel and basically go from project to project versus, you know, clocking in nine to five, uh, you know, th- 360 days a year or whatever. Mm.
1: No, I think that definitely makes sense. I mean, for me, I've, never gotten in construction i've only been on the side of having a house built or other things seeing the construction but there's definitely i think it would be a, you know a rewarding uh, aspect of hey we see something it starts at nothing builds it up and you can say hey i helped build that and hey you know you can kind of point to that as something as an accomplishment which, so certainly be exciting now you're doing that for a period of time enjoying that now when you got into or how did you make that transition decide okay you wanted to go into business yourself was it just a kind of i've Decided I didn't want to be construction forever, or I had a good opportunity or good idea, kind of what prompted that, that shift a bit?
0: Um, so, even when I was in construction, you know, I was working as a, you know, as a project manager. So, I was basically running a small crew, uh, 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 basically from project to project. So, you know, whether we were doing seating, demolition, uh, remodeling, you name it, I, I worked on, on quite a few different things in construction. But the the actual owner of that company was the dad of a guy who I played football with, and so he was a small business owner. Um, you know, another good another mentor of mine from that in that sense where I I really got to see what a small business was like being run at that level. So you know, even though I was doing the day to day work of a of a project manager for a construction company, I was on site day to day. Um, I was still learning behind the scenes of how everything worked from a small business perspective. Um, and, I, and at that time, I, you know, I actually thought that I was going to, construction would be, you know, my, my choice of business. Um, it ended up not being that once I partnered with a co- couple of my buddies and, and looked at the, just the land, general landscape and the potential behind um, what I wanted to achieve. But yeah, it still allowed me to kind of see a small business from the inside out and, and learn and learn and gain that experience.
1: No, that's cool. So now, so you got it and I, that definitely makes sense. So now you got into initial, I think the first business you mentioned is you kind of went on your own as you got with a few friends and you started the kettlebell company. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So after I, uh, I worked in construction for a little bit, I actually moved over and I started working in oil and gas and I was working as a gas controller. Um, basically working, working shift work, you know, 12 hour shifts, uh, maintaining a gas pipeline. And in doing that, you know, that was a a very traditional kind of corporate job, you know, great, great pay, great benefits. Um, But it was, you know, a commitment from our standpoint and it was, it was a a long-term commitment if it was something that, you know, I I was going to do for the rest of my life. And so during that process, I had a couple other friends who were kind of in the same similar situation. Um, One of them actually was working with me at the oil and gas company. And another one was a friend of our, uh, was best friends with a guy we went to college with. And so it was very kind of tight circle. Um, We kind of made a pact that we were going to start a company. Didn't know what that was. Uh, We had a good reference of what e-commerce was because my friend was working at BigCommerce at the time. So, he had a very good insight of you know what makes a successful business. He had to, you know he had a good chance to see you know companies come on board and go from nothing to something, um, kind of overnight. You know, really studying studying niche markets and, and different opportunities for trying to create your own. Uh, you know, tr- basically trying to trying to be noticed in in such a crowded space of, of e-commerce. And so we felt like we had a little edge in that sense of really understanding how to do that. Um, and we just started naming companies. And so kettlebells was, was one of the products that we wanted. You know, we, at the time we were talking about, uh, so, so many, so many different things, all, all different types of fitness equipment, um, you know, sleeping companies, um, you know, basically any niche market that we could think of, we were trying to go after kettlebells was just one of those things that at that time, CrossFit was becoming really big and, we could really see the potential of this is, you know, this is a, a, th- a thing that's here to stay, and it's going to be growing over the next 10 to 15 years, and it's only going to get more kind of ingrained into fitness and in, into a, into what people consider a workout. So kettlebell kings being so kind of literal was, was almost too good to, to pass up, so to speak.
1: No, it definitely makes sense. Now, one question on that is, were you guys, hey, as you did your research, was it, were you looking for something you thought it was a good opportunity? Was it something you guys are familiar with? Was it something you're passionate about? You know, as an example, did you like kettlebells? Were you using it for workout? Was it more of just, hey, this is an, a, a growing space and a little bit, we don't care what this space is. We just want to find something that we can uh, drive and grow and that type of thing. Or kind of how did you land on kettlebells?
0: Yeah, I think it was, you know, it, it definitely because it was a growing space. Uh, you know, that, that was one of the, the driving factors. But then also with um, you know our background in, in sports and fitness at the time we were we were all trying to find our routine for you know what does my health and wellness routine look like after sports right I think if you if you play <clears throat> collegiate or professional sports it's a much different workout regimen than you know this is my daily life so this is my you know monthly lifestyle type of workout routine mm-hmm. so. Me personally, like I didn't like going to a gym. So I, I hate going to 24 hour fitness or, you know, any of these gyms where it's just a bunch of people there waiting on machines, jumping over people, you know, people working out at different level of intensities. That's just not my, you know, my speed for, for working out. And so homework, I became a big thing for us and, and kettlebells and minimal space workout was kind of one of the trending uh, things that was happening kind of just in the fitness industry in itself. And so we, we really like that personally. I think that fit our, uh, our personal, you know, kind of goals for our, our, our own health and wellness. But then I think we saw that to be kind of the future of health and wellness is, you know, it, it is much more of a personal journey. The minimal space, space athlete, you know, I think you've seen or we've all seen kind of with COVID that kind of your home fitness workout is the core of your health and wellness what you do, you know, in the space that you are that you have available to you is is more important than you know where you go or what what you know big pieces of equipment you have available to you. And so we, we really want to create a lifestyle and community around that.
1: No, I think mean, that that definitely makes sense. I mean, finding something—it's a good opportunity that you're interested in, that you're <laughs> you know use a product yourself, and is an up and coming market—all makes sense. Now, as you guys started this out, were you guys doing it? as a side job or a kind of a side hustle getting it started and did it is it still a side hustle or did you guys kind of transition as it got as it grew to to be a full-time gig
0: yeah i mean the first year and a half um i was still working full-time so you know one of the luxuries of working a shift uh, shift work is you know you work 12-hour shifts rotating shifts and you know sometimes you're working 12 hours during the day sometimes you're working 12 hours during the night so 12 hours during the night used to probably be the, the best time for me to get work done because I could work during the day after I got up. And then, you know, at night, it's a lot more peaceful in the control room. and So you can do a lot of research and reading and, and just kind of all the, 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 the minute things around building a business. You know, I was able to do that, uh, you know, over those night shifts and, and things like that. and So after about <clears throat> a year and a half of us having something and really seeing, okay, we have sales you know, we, we proved the concept of Kettlebell Kings. We see the tra- trajectory going up, going in the direction that we like. You know, someone always has to kind of just jump in there and kind of go, go full throttle. And so at that point, I quit my job, um, you know, went to, to do this full time. You know, we were still shipping out of a, a storage facility, like a 10 by 10 storage facility, but um, it was enough to, that somebody had to go over there every day. Someone had to, you know, deal with customers every single day. And so about six months after that, um, we got to the point where it was an, it was almost too much for one person, um, and so my business partner did the same thing as well. So he he quit his job, and um, yeah, from there we we just kept going. So, you know, we're at probably eight employees right now uh, and growing, or probably eight full time employees and, and still growing, um, and so it's just been kind of a, a never ending growth process since that point.
1: Hey, that's always a great place to be, to be in that growth and to have things expanding and going in the right direction is definitely exciting now. And I, I think as we chatted a bit before the uh, podcast, you don't—you know—you have Kettlebell Kings, but then you guys kind of started, I don't know, and I say you, you guys, maybe it was you, your, your partners or otherwise, but you started to expand into other areas. Was that kind of out of a diversification and, and or you had other opportunities or excited about other things or kind of how did you start to expand into additional businesses and growing other things?
0: Yeah, I mean, about three or four years ago, um, once we really knew Kettlebell Kings had, you know, it, we had a brand. You know, we were getting globally recognized. Um, you know, we were getting quite a few, quite a bit of attention from, uh, you know, other companies. And just kind of in our space, we were one of the one of the most credible companies for kettlebell. So, um, a lot of that was because we knew we had that solid. Now we need to diversify and. A lot of our revenue was generated through equipment sales Um, at the time. And still right now, people are talking about, you know, the trade wars with China, um, trade wars in general, you know, economic bubble, whatever might happen to put a damper on our supply line for equipment sales. We needed to figure out, okay, how can we diversify and sell things that don't require that supply line? Um, digital products became an easy an easy target. So kettlebell workouts, uh, you know, we we knew people were selling kettlebell workouts, kettlebell programs. Um, that became became low hanging fruit. But we wanted to expand on that and be more than just a kettlebell. So, Living Fit uh, not only does kettlebells, but it also does battle ropes, dumbbells, nutrition, resistance bands, um, and it'll con- it'll continue to keep expanding almost into every single fitness category. So what we're forming now is not only the workout side. So if you can think of like your Peloton-like experience, it's also an educational side to it as well that allows trainers to earn certifications and earn specialty uh, credits towards their, uh, whatever certifying body that they're using for their personal personal training certification. Um, They can get these specialty credits through this same type of app and program.
1: No, definitely makes sense. And so now as you launched, you know, the, the, the next kind of expansion or, you know, or our business is just kind of expanding on that original di- idea, going into the additional verticals and kind of keeping that fitness lifestyle, doing all of that. Was it the same, you know, was it the same experience and it was just kind of building what you had or was every startup different and you had different uh, opportunities, different difficulties or kind of, how was that kind of starting that over again or, or building that up again for a second time in a different area?
0: Um, I mean, I think every everyone is going to be different. So it's definitely a huge difference between you know selling digital products and sell, selling physical products. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, luckily for us, we've only gotten more and more attention on our on our products. So demand for us has just increased since since we've since we've you know been in business. Um, but for the digital products, it's not the same. So you know you you have to work quite a bit harder to make those sales compared to, uh, you know, kettlebells, which are hard, hard kind of hard to find right now. Um, and so I, I think that's, that's probably the biggest difference in just in the shift of the actual product itself. For a lot of the other pieces of equipment like dumbbells, um, because it's the same industry, it's, all, it's, it's honestly, it's easier because more, more people are looking for dumbbells than they are kettlebells. So I think it just, it just varies on, you know, what, what product that is.
1: No, it definitely makes sense. So now, and it, now as you expanded, you also, I think as, as mentioned before, you got into a bit of CBD or hemp and you got uh, partnered up with George Foreman the third, was that an extension of your business or different opportunity? How did you kind of or add that into the mix or grow that as, as part of the diversity?
0: Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, so that, that's something I branched out on my own and, and started, you know, I, I I have a a vision for this company, you know, of being kind of a, a natural, uh, you know, I want to source basically the natural the most natural plant products that I can. Um so whether that's supplements, um you know, salves, creams, any any product that we can source from from plants or from mother nature, uh is, is the way we want to, you know, kind of build the company. So the community that we're trying to build there is is fitness focused, but it's I would say it's more health and wellness focused. Um you know George George Foreman III actually went to Rice with me as well. We weren't you know super close at, at Rice. Uh, I think we had a couple classes together, but he after we graduated, he got he he actually went into the fitness industry as well, and was um, he basically founded a boxing certification and boxing gym that he was that he was working on. Uh, I believe it was called Everybody Fights, um, and so he was doing that. And so there was a lot of overlap just kind of in our experience and uh, where we were in our careers. And so, you know, we just kind of touched base, kept, kept in loose contact. And once he found out about the, the Life Girls Green opportunity, um, we just kind of went into discussions about how, you know, both of our networks and experience could work together to really, really build this into something we both kind of had already kind of visualized.
1: No, that's cool. And, I, I, you know, it's always interesting the connections we make whether they're close connections or not close connections how you know commonalities whether it's going to the same school <laughs> taking a few classes together being in similar industries how you never know how those connections will come back around and that sounds like it did it there as well so now you kind of you know that kind of catches us up to a bit of where you're at today kind of now looking at the next six to 12 months where do you see things headed where you, what are the opportunities to, to look to or to continue to explore or explore into
0: um, quite a few. So, um, you know, I think one of the, the biggest things or the biggest challenges for any company when you're trying to scale to, you know, from a, a single million dollar company to multi-million or a hundred million dollar type of company is really trying to find capital and strategically um, make the right decisions so that you're, you're, you know, you're maximizing your equity, but you're also helping the company grow as fast as you can possibly grow it. Um, so, you know, right now for Living Fitting Kettlebell Kings, you know, we're we're doing a fundraise right now to try to raise funds to continue to build our supply lines here in in America. Uh, Like I was saying, we're expanding into different, so many different categories. Uh, You know, we only had kettlebells, you know, we need the same amount of inventory for dumbbells, barbells, um, you know, weight benches, you name it, every other kind of category has to have that same amount of capital inventory uh, or initial, initial capital to build that inventory so that you're able to to support a demand. So we're in, we're in fundraising mode pretty hard for that. Um, And then the same thing for my other company, Uh, you know, we're we're in fundraising as well, where we have everything established kind of online uh, and we're really looking to make a push nationally with kind of a sales and marketing approach with, with George coming on board and uh, really going after the kind of looking at the CBD or the hemp derived product space uh, from a recovery and wellness perspective and really going after that niche initially uh, and trying to take that over.
1: Oh, cool. No, Sounds like uh, a lot of it, a fun opportunities, a lot of opportunities to grow and to continue to expand the business. So with that, yeah. as we start to wrap towards the end of the podcast, I always have two questions I love to ask at the end. So we'll go ahead and jump to those now. First question is: is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it?
0: Um, The worst decision I've ever made, probably not bringing on experts early enough. Uh, <clears throat> I think, you know, when I think when you're an entrepreneur, in the beginning, you have to have this kind of, I'm a do it myself attitude, I can get anything done myself. And once you really have something and you really have proven your model out, you don't necessarily know how you don't know the lack of uh, efficiency you have, and how much that could affect the growth of your business. And so you may be hammering something out yourself that, you know, you should pay a professional to do because your business would grow a lot faster. And you're actually um, bottlenecking your growth versus helping it by, you know, doing it the mom and pop way or doing it a, a stubborn way. So, if I could go back and you know learn, it would be you know things like, at what point to transition from owning a warehouse and sending out every single package yourself and going to a fulfillment center like like different examples like that of when to make those transitions numerically and kind of uh, from a business perspective rather than a um a personal or ego perspective of just trying to kind of earn earn your way there so to speak speak.
1: no I, i think that you know there's a lot of expertise and even just you know offloading things as well Oh, too often as an entrepreneur, you think, hey, I've got to hustle or I got to do it myself because I got to make sure it's done right. Or, you know, I don't yeah. want to pay someone else to do it because we need to save every penny. And, you know, sometimes I, there's some truth to that. And, you, you know, you don't always have the ability to start out to pay for every expert and hire everybody you'd always want. But at the same yeah. point, if you don't at some point, as you reach the ability to do that, start to offload it to your point. I think you can hamper a business or, or hamper the growth a bit or keep it from growing as fast as it could because you're not bringing on those people that can help bring it to the next level. So I definitely think that's a, a good lesson to learn. Well, the second question I always ask is, um, you know, if you're now talking to somebody that's just getting to a startup or a small business, um, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them?
0: Um, look at it as a continuous journey. You know, there's no start in, end to it. You know, it, it's a it's something that you learn every day. You, you get better at it every single day. So, you know, I, I, I equate it to sports just because, you know, I played sports and in business athletically, you don't have to lose anything. You know, your, your mind can just get sharper and sharper and sharper. And I know now based on my experience in having made decisions, the decisions I could have made better earlier in my career. And there's no way for me to, to, improve on myself if I'm not a continuous learner uh, throughout the process so yeah my my number one advice would just be completely open to to learning for the you know for the rest of your life or as long as you want to be an entrepreneur not 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 getting stuck in your own uh, in your own brain or in your own ways
1: no and I think that that is a great you know I like the idea that you really as an entrepreneur you don't you don't have to you don't maybe at some point you get old enough and you get, you know, yeah, worn out at enough. some point but, yeah. <laughs> but for a long period of time, as opposed yeah. to, you know, sports is you look at, you know, even at the highest professional level, they they only last a few years most of the time before they're yeah. having to step back because they're not able to maintain at the same level. Whereas the fun thing about entrepreneurship is as long as you're taking that attitude, as you mentioned, that you're continually growing, that it's not just a, Hey, we reached this level and I'm done, but rather it's continuing to improve and to make it better and to grow and diversify, you can always have those opportunities as long as you're working. So I I love that piece of advice. Well, as we wrap up, just as a reminder to all the listeners, we do have the bonus episode or bonus question on this episode. Where we're going to talk just about a little bit about intellectual property. So if you want to hear a little bit about that, uh, that top question, stay tuned for after the normal episode. But as we wrap up, otherwise, if people want to find out more about your businesses, they want to be a customer or a client, they want to be an investor. They want to be an employee. They want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above. What's the best way to reach out, find out more.
0: Um, several different ways. So you can reach, you can find out more about me at chatprice.com. Um, just talks about my journey. If you, you know, want to do business, get in contact with me. That's probably the best way, uh, chatprice.com. Um, but then I also have the uh, several different websites. You have kettlebellkings.com, living.fit and lifegrowsgreen.com. So, uh, any of those companies, you know, they're health and wellness companies, CBD related companies, um, generally, towards any anything that's trying to be productive or, or put growth into today's society so
1: all right well i definitely encourage everybody to check out any or all of the websites reach out to chad if you have some uh, want need a kettlebell you need sportness or sport gear you want to invest you want to find out about cbd lots of different things chad has going on definitely worth reaching out well, as we wrap up, thank you again, Chad, for coming on. Stay tuned for the, the bonus question, but uh, thank you for coming on. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell, um, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the podcast. A couple more things as listeners. One, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so new people can find out about the podcast as well. Last but not least, if you ever need help with your uh, patents, trademarks, or anything else for the business, just go to strategymeeting.com. So now, as we wrap up the normal part of the episode, we get a you. It's a, the fun part for him, at least me, because I always get to be in a, b- a bit of a driver's seat, ask the questions, and you have to respond. Now we get to flip the tables a bit, and you get to ask me your number one question, and I get to talk a little bit about something I'm passionate about, which is intellectual property. So with that, I turn it over to you a bit. What's your n- number one intellectual property question?
0: Um, do, you deal in the inter- do you deal with international intellectual property? Sure. Uh huh that's a simple question for me then how (laughs) how do how do you build an international portfolio and how do you kind of how do you gauge what things are worth investing in and what things are kind of just paper i mean i think that at the end of the day that's the justice
1: yeah and that's a great question it's a hard one especially to start up small business is you always have aspirations of going, you know, going international, being worldwide and selling it. And yet the cost of doing that is is substantial. I mean, if you're going to go into multiple countries, you have to file, whether it's a patent or a trademark in each of the individual countries, that cost adds up. And it can be, it can be a great benefit if you have it, but it can also be a big killer if you don't, if you spend all of your money there, such as to detriment the company. So generally what I would advise is where you start to look is where is going to be the highest, the biggest concentration. Where's your marketplace going to be? So, is an example of, hey, really, ninety percent of where we're going to in foreseeable future, we're going to sell into is going to be in the U.S. And sure, there's going to be a little bit in Europe or China, but ninety percent of our marketplace is probably in the U.S. I'd probably say focus your intellectual property on there because you're protecting your biggest market, and the other ones that you are going to be much smaller. You simply don't go and protect, you know, you simply go and compete without intellectual property and let that be in supplemental income. But if somebody comes along and knocks off or otherwise competes in those marketplaces, it's probably not worthwhile the investment. On the other hand, let's say you said, okay, Europe is a huge market. Everybody wants, you know, I'll use the example of kettlebells, 55% of our market there, 35% in the US, and 20% in Canada. I don't think I have my math added up, but I had over 100%. But then I would start to say, okay, then we probably want to protect in those few countries. Probably makes sense because those are big enough markets. We are going to sell into enough that we're going to want to actually follow in protection. So when you get into international, it's one where you can spend a lot of money and not get a good return. Or if you're careful and you look and say now it's as much as making a business case because you ask a typically you ask an intellectual property attorney and if they give you legal advice says yeah we can file in all these countries here is the cost it's going to be you should file in every one because you never know where it's going to be but i'd really take a step back and say there's a much more of a business case that you should be looking at where is our market where do we see us growing into where's the what where do we want to protect our competitive advantage and that's where you invest in and then you just simply say, if we can't afford it to go everywhere, we're going to protect our biggest markets. And then we'll just simply other opportunities where we could have filed into, we'll just compete without intellectual property. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. Is I think it, just the way the way my mind works is I'm always trying to make that into a number. And when, when you're thinking about, you know, what's worth protecting, right? Like, so what what's, what size, you know, or what volume of, uh, whether that's revenue, profit, however you want to cut that, how do you, how do you equate that to, to a number? So, you know, if, if you have a company that's, that's doing a, a million dollars in a country, is that worth it? Is it $100,000 worth it when you're talking about protecting your IP? How do you really you know, justify what, what threshold you make that decision?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always a bit of a business. I mean, because if you say $100,000 in revenue versus profit, hey, if you're only making $5,000 of profit for revenue, then it probably doesn't make sense. But yeah. I would put it as giving an example, most countries, you know, and there's exceptions higher low, but on average, to go and get a patent internationally, You're probably looking on the low side, $10,000 on the high side up to 20,000. That's a pretty big range. I would usually say $12,000 if I say country by country to get through all the bases. So if now you're saying, okay, we're doing $100,000 net profit, or we're doing seven figures and a million dollars in that country, then it probably makes sense because you're going to have, okay... For that smaller investment, $12,000, we can protect what we're doing proprietary, keep us, in, in, or, and it could be a trademark as well. If we have a really great brand and we want to protect it, then you're saying, you know, trademarks are even more so because, you know, to get a trademark in a given country, you're probably anywhere from 1500 to $2,000 as an average. And so you're saying, okay, I would look at it as if we're, you know, you're getting to where... That is, if you were saying 10% of the, and this is a hard question, but 10% of the yeah. net profits is going to be in that country, or we see the next two or three years, that's where their trajectory is headed. I'd probably say you're getting into that range of 10 to 15% of net profits. If you're to reinvest in that, would probably give you a pretty good range.
0: Good. Sounds good.
1: All right. Well, with that, it was certainly a fun question to talk a little about intellectual property and uh, certainly the international and the, the foreign scene as well. Appreciate you coming on the podcast again, Chad. Now, if anybody else, any of you, anybody else out there have any other questions or if you Chad, even have any other questions later down the road, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com grab a bit more time with us to chat. Always happy to answer those questions. Now, as we wrap up, thank you again, Chad, and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last.
0: Thank you and I appreciate your time today.